The Restless Midlifer podcast. Get health, weight and life back on your terms. Welcome to episode 103. Now, I've got a great interview with Kat Taylor-Bent coming up. Kat has uh, some uh, amazing insights to share based on her own life journey, which pretty much took a, a turn for the worst 16 years ago where she suffered some a life-changing injury. And I'll let Kat explain that and tell the story. It's pretty raw, um, inspiring, but it is tough. And it's uh, life is not without its challenges now for Kat, who is now wheelchair-bound. Um, but... As you'll see, she has not allowed that to defeat her or to hold her back. She has really taken life by the horns and has embraced the challenges as opportunities within that. I'm not saying it's all better roses, as you'll see in the interview when we talk to uh, Kat about it. Um, but I think there's a lot of takeaways here for all of us. I like to keep things real <clears throat> and life can happen. Unexpected things can happen. And it's how we respond and who we have in our corner as well in terms of support, you know, and Kat's very open and honest about that as well. So I uh, hope you enjoyed the interview. I think there's lots to take away from that. But what I want to do is also, before we get into the interview, share my food for thought this week. And it's around the uh, idea of labelling and not listening. Now, in that concept, I think <laughs> the, the way the world is today, we seem to be drowning in labels and not a lot of listening. And I could take it off in that direction. And I think actually, if we label less and listen more, that could probably be a good principle to sort of approach and, and live our life by outwardly as we're interacting with the world. But that's not really what I want to focus on. What I want to focus on is how we apply labels to ourselves. Because I think the labels that we apply to ourselves, there isn't just the obvious aspect to this. You know, we label ourselves as lazy, over the hill, I'm not a runner, I'm too old for, um, I'm disorganised, I'm just I'm just chaotic in my life. Whatever labels we apply, there is the aspect of that then becoming our truth and we act accordingly or we uh, accept certain things. We don't make changes because of those labels. Kind of say, well, I'm too, uh, uh, I'm too lazy too. I'm just not a runner. Whatever these things are, they become our truth. And these labels can then start to guide and shape our lives. And often it's not about the, the labels that we speak out. Although, even when we speak out a label in, in a conversation, you know, we might be talking about getting healthy with a bunch of mates and oh, I could never run, I'm not a runner, or I'm too lazy for that kind of thing, or I'm too this, I'm too that, I'm too old for this. Often in conversations, unless somebody's particularly willing to challenge, they get absorbed into the, the mix of the conversation and they don't get challenged. And unless you're, you know, working with a coach and it's something as a coach myself I look out for because it is really important that we do challenge the, those labels when they come up. You know, I'll always be this size. I've always been big. I'm going to be big, whatever. All of those things that we use. But it isn't just the, the labels that we say outwardly. It's the labels that are unconsciously we, we narrate through our life internally. And it becomes almost like a a soundtrack like white noise in the background as we interpret our world and the day-to-day -day life that we lead and you know when an aspiration comes up or a goal that I want to achieve I want to change this these labels surface as well I can't I won't I'm this I'm that and those kinds of labels start to limit and cut off options now for me there's a couple of angles that are really important in relation to this because we all do it I'm confident that you if you spend a little bit of time and you probably can think of some straight away but if you spend a little bit of time you'd probably be surprised at how many labels you use in the course of your narrating your day and your life but there are two aspects and one of them is probably more obvious the second one I'm going to come to because I think there's an opportunity in the second one the first one is that it is part of that self-cabotage that self-sabotage that self-criticism that is generally not very helpful at its best, but can be quite harmful. It can hold us back. It can shape things. It can lead us to making decisions by default because we don't confront or deal or or try to push beyond those labels. And that self-criticism is corrosive over time and can shape us into or limited us into smaller and smaller constraints around that because we don't challenge them. And that's really, for me, what self-cabotage, self-sabotage, self-criticism is all, is all about. It, when I talk about self-compassion, compassion towards yourself, it isn't just about getting soft and fluffy and all kind of nicey-nicey. It's about recognising that the self-sabotage, the self-cabotage, as I call it, holds you back. 
it undermines any efforts you make or want to make in relation to a particular goal or direction of travel. And for me, that's what where it, the, the rubber hits the road. That's where it really matters and where it really counts. Because if you have a goal, whether it's a health goal, a work goal, a, a business goal, any kind of goal, what goes on under the hood, the, under the surface, the stories we tell ourselves, the labels we apply is going to be critical in whether you achieve that goal and whether you maintain the results thereafter or you don't get started or don't or get sidetracked or get thrown off track on the way to the goal. So it's really, really important that we recognise that the labels need to either serve us or we need to challenge and change them because of that. The other side is though, and I think this is the thing that perhaps we don't necessarily recognise is that labelling can be very convenient, easier, and I say easier because it can still be a painful, um, perhaps at that lower level, way to dismiss certain things, certain real underlying causes and reasons for why you are not moving towards a particular goal or why you are not sustaining a particular action. Because sometimes it can be easier just to label myself as lazy or I'm just a this, I'm just a that than to dig below the surface, to explore the real root of things, the real beliefs, the real reasons and factors that are leading to me not achieving a goal. So I'll give you an example. For example, if you know, I want to lose some weight and I want to do it consistently, and over time I've tried and I've tried and I've had those all or nothing efforts and they've just not been sustained, no doubt you'll have come through that with some labels about yourself. I'm useless, I can never stick, I've got no willpower, I'm just lazy, I haven't got I haven't got what it takes, whatever those labels are. And those labels are not only interpretations of the past uh, events, but they're going to shape how you move forward. The thing is, it's very easy to accept those labels rather than to critically, and when I mean critically, I don't mean harshly, I just mean soberly and critically look at the reasons why something did not work or why, what might be contributing to the the not achieving and not moving forward. And if we can just park the label for a moment, and if we can just ask ourselves, when we catch ourselves with that label, is this is this really true? Is it really true? And what if it wasn't true? What else could it be? And if we really started to listen to ourselves, to the thoughts that arise, to the emotions and feelings that surface, we can get a better handle on what might be the real factors. Yes, there'll be resistance. If we start saying, is it real? am I really lazy? You'll get resistance. Yeah, of course you are lazy. Of course you are. You are. Look at all this past evidence. But if you can park the resistance and just look for the other reasons, then there may be things that might have labelled as excuses before, but there may be contributing factors. Let's be right. How often is it that we embark on a goal and we have too bigger an action plan, too massive. And this is why I talk about sprout sweating, because it, sprout sweating is about shrinking it down to something you will do and you will do consistently. But so often we embark on something with gusto, with enthusiasm, motivation, and ultimately it's too much. It's too much for the life and the commitments and the demands and responsibilities that we already have. And a label like lazy or weak or no willpower can cover over the reality because the reality is life will win out if we don't adapt our plan to be life proof or flexible in the face of life. So when we dig beneath the surface of the label, perhaps we do need to get real about what you are juggling in life, what things in terms of work and demands, how, how is your energy and your health in general? And here's the other thing, what you actually believe about yourself and things and life, etc. I've got a couple of great examples of this. One, one great example I've got is a client who, um, once we started to talk about this, realised that they had been holding a belief and a label that they're a sugar addict because they couldn't go without any on a journey or without packing the bag with a bunch of chocolate. It would lead to that kind of a feeling of really anxiousness that I've got to have something there in case I need it because I'm addicted to sugar. Now. There may be a genuine addiction to sugar, etc., out there, but in this particular case, this person, once she became aware of that label and the narrative around it, she started a question underneath, what, is that really true? And what if it wasn't? What else is going on? And to start to relax about the whole issue around sugar, sweets and chocolate, and to develop a new way of handling that and, to, and that relaxation that awareness in itself pretty much 
change the situation. It's not always that easy. And it sometimes does take con concrete action, does take practical things about decisions to make, what other things to drop, um, challenging our thoughts as they arise more constantly to get practice. But those labels can often be things we adopt, accept without as truth, without challenge. And really, the challenge is the real opportunity to open up a world of other ideas, other options, other actions. So when we're thinking about this, in terms of labeling and not listening, when you're applying it to yourself, when we label ourselves, we shut down the opportunity to look deeper, to be introspective, and to listen to the things that arise. And I talk about this a lot with morning and opening and closing ceremonies and taking time to think and reflect, get bored, all of those things are to allow your mind to do what it's great at if it's given half the chance to surface real reasons, real concerns, real thoughts, real ideas. And really this is about recognising that you have an opportunity that when you start to tap in and tune into the labels that you use for yourself, never mind the world out there, because you could start to apply this out there as well, you know, with other people and with life and situations. But let's think about you for now. If you can start to become more aware of that, of the labels that you use, you have a real opportunity for change. Because the real opportunity is as you catch yourself in the act of using a label on yourself, whether in conversation or just thinking, you have an opportunity. And the opportunity is to then ask yourself, Hang on a second, is that true? And there is the starting point to then digging deeper because the answer to is that true? Maybe, yes, it is. More often than not, in my experience, it's a convenient yet painful way to avoid the truth. And the truth isn't always as scary, as complicated, as heavy and hard as you would think. It's often filled with little opportunities, filled with little insights and awakenings and awareness changes that can just lead to you transforming how you see a particular goal, especially if you view a goal that you so desperately want to, to achieve, whether it's a career, a, a, a fitness, a health goal, a weight loss goal, whatever it is. If you view that as something that's just not for you, you'll never be I'll never get there. It'll never, it's not something I can ever do. I don't have it in me to do. If you can look below the labels, you can often make simple little changes in awareness that can make that goal feel totally different, achievable. It is for you. Yes, there's work. Yes, it'll take time. Yes, it'll take certain things that will need to be needed to be done to get you there. But it is a simple change that can help shift the goal from being unachievable, unrealistic, and out there to something you can work towards. So that's my food for thought. Label less, listen more. Start to notice your own labels. And as you catch yourself in the act with your labels, start to ask yourself that question, is this true? Is this really true? And what if it wasn't true? What else could be, or what other things could be the reasons and the factors? My beliefs, genuine demands and responsibilities in life, health situation, whatever it is, start to dig below because there's some real opportunities for solutions in there. So that's my food for thought this week and hopefully that'll give you plenty to think about and start to notice your own labels and what I now suggest you do is take that away and have a think and, and play with it and get playful with it. Start to smile when you catch those labels in action and on with the interview with Kat Taylor Bend. I hope you enjoy that. Let me know any thoughts or feedback on the interview and on my food for thought today by emailing me dave at restlessmidlifer.com. Thanks very much. Right. Hi. Hi, Kat. It's great to have you along for the podcast uh, episode. So um, I've done a very brief intro just before, but um, what I'm interested in is knowing a little bit about you and then we'll dive in and ask a few questions about your own journey and experiences. So if you could tell the audience a little bit about yourself, what, who you are, what you're doing at the moment, and then we'll take it from there. No problem. Thank you very much for the invite. It's, uh, it's lovely to be here. So my name's Kat and I'm based in Durham. I'm currently um, an adaptive fashion designer, designing um, bespoke outfits for the disabled community. But I also dabble in a bit of um, keynote speaking, talking about my experience and that of my families um, and some of the struggles we've had to encounter. Um, and yeah, basically advocate for the disabled community. Yeah. Yeah. And um, well, I guess we'll we'll kind of touch in some of that as we go. But what. Yep. Tell us your story. How did you come to um, come to do what you're doing and to, to work in the area you work in? So 16 years ago, um, my six month old son was crying in his playpen and I picked him up 
And in doing that, I herniated a disc onto my spinal column. And the surgery to correct that uh, went wrong. And I spent nine months in James Cook Hospital. And on leaving James Cook, I was a full-time wheelchair user and disabled. Mm-hmm. So life changed quite dramatically uh, with one cry of a baby. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it I mean, I can't imagine, but it's like the, there's so much going on there in terms of the, 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 just the suddenness of it, the, yeah, the, the change, the transition. What, we'll, we'll get into obviously how it's informed what you do now, but at that point, obviously, young family mm-hmm. um, suddenly turned upside down. What journey did you go through? Obviously, there's a physical side, there. obviously, the operation didn't work, etc. But, yeah. Emotionally, psychologically, what 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 did you go through with that? What did the family go through? Um, it was um devastating and traumatic. Um, my my parents moved in with my husband, um, so that he could continue working, and they basically moved in for the nine months that I was in hospital, um, because we had a six month old baby that needed looking after. Um, so they used to bring him through to the hospital every day. Um, and I'd, I'd watch from afar as he grew and changed, um, missed all of his firsts, which actually heavily impacted in his later diagnosis. Um, because I couldn't tell him anything about his key milestones. I I wasn't around for them. Um, and yeah it was just really difficult because you you go from i used to work in hospitals being on the other side of the uniform and suddenly being the patient i wasn't the best patient i didn't deal with it very well at all um and it's really hard to process because you're all i was already having to process being a new mom and the, the changes to your life that that brings um and you sort of you've got all your hopes and dreams and you're waiting for all the first to happen and then suddenly that's taken away from you and I didn't know um Tom was walking until my mum let go of his hand and he sort of pegged it down the ward and she thought she was doing right and at the time it probably was but it absolutely broke my heart and anytime I see kids of friends starting to walk for the first time I go back to sitting in that ward and that heartbreak because it's it's something you never get back and it's such a milestone that it's um yeah there's there's certain times that I I really struggle with it still and it's 16 years ago so it's I should be over it but there's just certain things that you just you never get over you're always reminded of of what you've lost yeah yeah I suppose there's that word should I mean there's a lot of things we should but it's either we are or we aren't you know and we can work on it and whatever but I think you're right I think and not that I can uh, totally appreciate but I think there are some things that will always be so deeply rooted Mm. that that will have that effect and I can't imagine you know that that must be you know a really tough thing to yeah the majority of times we're over it and we deal with it and um, we um as as I was recovering if you like um the hospital sets deadlines and you sort of well if you get to three years wait till three years because at three years maybe you'll have you'll have got a bit more function back and then you get to three years and well, get to five years, let's see. Um, and we got to seven years and the consultant sat there and he said, well, actually, if nerves haven't repaired and function isn't returned, this is it. Mm. And you go through that whole loss again because you've always had this little glimmer of hope that at seven years, you'll get to seven years and suddenly you... <laughs> The next day you'll wake up and you're like, hey, seven years, I'm healed. Mm. Um, and it doesn't happen. And that dawning realisation that actually this 
is my life. This is it forever now. Um, so we had a really tricky seven, eight years because you're always just given that little glimmer of hope, the little glimmer yeah. of hope. And then suddenly you get discharged from everything and they're like, well, there's nothing more we can do for you. So just go and live your life. Mm. And it's like, wow, where do you even begin in that journey of this is forever? And how do you deal with that? Mm. So, yeah, it was it was tricky. Um, but we got there once we'd got our heads around the fact that this is it. This is forever. It's like lying in the sand. OK let's make it work let's make it happen because we still had a little boy seven-year-old um and we still wanted to I wanted to be his mom I wanted to do his school runs I don't want to do everything that being a mom should be as much as I could so I just threw myself into into that mm. So those questions, like I said, they were the questions that I was going to ask back to you is how did you, you know, you know, at that point. So that turn, that, that, that point where you kind of, yeah, you decide I want to get on with it. I guess it, that's still not the emotional journey done, if I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, in terms no. of. So how, how did you, how did you sort of manage that? The, 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 the decision that you want to be the man, you want to do this with that, the grief. For want of a better phrase, I don't know if that's the right phrase for yeah. it. I, I sort of had to switch off and it, and it stopped being about me and it right. started to become about Tom. Mm-hmm. Um, because as Tom was growing up, we noticed things weren't exactly right. And the excuse that we got of all of the professionals was, Tom is the way he is because you're disabled. It's because of your accident. And you hear it so many times from all the professionals, you start to believe that that is the narrative Mm. and that is true. Um, And so we never questioned it. We never thought, but we got to a point after after we knew that it was forever and nothing was going to change with me, where we're like, you know what? this little boy isn't right there is something that he needs extra support with he needs extra help with and that's where it's like we fought enough on my front there's nothing more anyone can do for me this is how it's going to be um and all of my energy was just fighting to make sure that what we knew in our gut was true was actually true and getting it proved and it was a long journey, but we eventually got him diagnosed with autism and ADHD. And I could almost take a sigh of relief because I then found out that he was the way he was and it was nothing to do with my injury. Nice. Because I carried, I carried so much guilt that I had damaged this little boy in some way over something I hadn't done. It was my... Uh, malpractice on their part um but everyone was saying he was the way he was because I was disabled and and so I was carrying my own grief and the grief of this child who was never going to be normal in the world's description of normality Mm. um and then suddenly we were told actually it's, it's not your fault um which was a huge sigh of relief, rightly or wrongly, but then you're, you're opening in this pit of, okay, so what does autism mean? What does ADHD mean? What do we have to do to support him? And, and the fight just went completely on, on getting him right and getting him as well as we could and settled. And so that sort of took my grief and my dealing with me just got put to one side and it's like you know what there's nothing more anyone can do for me but he's a little boy and we will fight hard to make sure he has the best chance that he has regardless of whatever challenges I put up against him Mm. and how is that how's that sort of journey with Tom going and you know um 
it has been extremely rocky. Um, right. He's got very bad mental health. Um, he blames himself for my accident because over the years people have said, oh, well, you know, your man was picking you up. We have never, ever put that on him. That is not his fault. He was a six-month-old okay. baby. Okay. Um, and that's nothing we've ever um, blamed him for. But he carries a lot of guilt that it, it, it's his fault. Um, he's he's six foot five. He's still my little boy. Um, but he has the emotional age of probably a six-year-old, the nice. learning age of a six or seven-year-old. Just last night, we were watching Fireman Sam and Pingu. So we're still very much in that sort of era. We've not moved on. Um, And we just fight hard. All we want is for him to be happy. That's all all that we fight really hard to be is that he can be happy in whatever he does. And as long as that's the case, then that's fine. We're doing our job right. So how uh, in that, how are you doing? How are you both doing as a couple, you know, the, the parents? Because <laughs> kind of all I can sit back at, at myself is being awe, you know, the of the challenge and and the fact that we're sitting here having a conversation for starters, you know. Yeah. Um it's I would not be here if it hadn't been for my husband, Nathan. I, he has been my rock through all of this and through all of Tom's challenges as well. Um, he's not missed a surgery or a, a, he's been called into hospitals to say his goodbyes and not known whether the seizure I've had is survivable. And and so he's he's had some really horrific moments of really not known hour by hour whether he's going to have a wife at the end of it um and he's just taken it in his stride and he's never he stands by the he said in sickness and in health and that's what it is and and he's still by my side and yeah I, I honestly don't know where I would be if I hadn't had someone like that to to support and care for me the way that he does yeah amazing it's um it's it's very sobering from my from a perspective of us because I, I actually we we've been meaning to have this interview for a while obviously and i think the first time we'd arranged it you you had um, was it a cinema or something some a mishap and ended up in hospital for quite a period of time then I remember yeah. I was messaging her uh, yeah. while you were in the hospital bed. You you were at a fit state. To, I wasn't half so <laughs> And I'll just say that for the benefit of listeners. <laughs> yes, I was well enough to be taken. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the thing. My health is, although I, I put on this, um, this quite brave face, if you like, of I just get on with it and I don't want to be seen as this disabled person, my health is quite fragile Hmm. Um, and because of the damage that's caught that happened in my spine it has knocked out vertebrae further up so I've now I've got a cage on one side of my neck I'll have to have a cage on the other because it's it's completely knocked my spine out Um, and I've got other complications where I, I end up having seizures at times and it's as stable as it can be, and we work within the parameters, but we are very aware that we don't know for how long it will be. Nice. So our ethos is let's just get on and do as much as we can while we can, make as many memories, have as much fun, and if it all ends tomorrow, so be it. We won't be over the moon, but we, we'd be okay. So, yeah, it's probably quite a perverse way of living, to be honest. And most people go, ah! But it works for us, and um, and we can deal, we all can deal with with that. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and amongst this, you are, you, you develop, so talk us through the business side and how you got into that, because I think that's, that, that, 
is important it's interesting from a perspective to, to see things from a different perspective from my you know from my side of things but also it speaks a lot about that that mindset that you have around well I'm gonna do rather than yes you know. so tell us, yeah. tell us about that so so when it's really weird when you become disabled you're basically just written off from society the doctors the consultants the nurses are all very much like well go home live your life but you'll amount to nothing because you're disabled now and for a lot of years I believed that and I was really poorly of course um but I got to the point where I'm like I'm I'm going to really important meetings and we had to go to court for Tom to get him into the school that we wanted to go and I'm like I'm I'm not turning up in like my joggy bottoms or me like I'm going to turn up in clothes that I want to be wearing and want to be seen in and um I said sorry my dog's barking in the background okay can't hear it okay um and I decided to start making myself some clothes and then as the power of social media is I put a picture on and then started talking about how they were suitable for wheelchair users Um, and people started asking me if I'd make them for them and I'm like "Mm, well yeah okay and it sort of grew from there really Um, so I started designing and making clothes for other people that were disabled who had really good jobs but you can't get clothing that you need on the high street we can't go to Marx's and get wheelchair suitable um trousers or dresses or anything um and then I got asked to do a wedding dress and I got asked to do pageant dresses and it sort of grew <laughs> and, it, and it's turned into what seated sewing is now is that it is designed I, I tend to design for wheelchair users because that's what I know um and I design and make clothes that make people feel amazing and feel like humans again so mm. yeah don't ever tell me I can't do something <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, it's interesting. That's it. That that last statement, though, I think is interesting because I think that has been provoked a lot of people onto amazing things, hasn't it? That statement, yeah. especially for the kind of person going, well, I want to show you, you know, and yeah, these up and what have you. But it, it's it's born out of a, a need that you found yourself. Mm-hmm. Start, did you have skills before? Was this something that you were interested in before? So, where, yeah. Sorry, I've got someone at my door. Can I? That's okay. I'll pause. Sorry, just pause one second. Don't bother. Sorry, what was your question again? Yeah, so it was about really, you know, well, I'll frame it like this that to realize there's a need, but then to go, well, I'll fill that need. There's, there's, there's kind of that's a big leap in itself isn't it yes you have some skills you have some experience before in terms of I don't seems seems what's the yeah 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 seamstress Taylor so my grandma was a seamstress right um and we grew up me grandma's dining table unless it was like Sunday dinner it was always full of a sewing machine and thread and fabric and she made for everybody if she wasn't making clothes she was knitting jumpers so she was very very practical and she taught me really um my mum can sew and she made us dresses as well but it was really the passion that I saw my grandma so I've always had a sewing machine and I dabbled a little bit but then when I was when I was recovering I wanted to do things that I could do from my bed so I started off with the making cards and making jewellery and then suddenly got to the point where I'm like actually I want to make bigger things I want clothing um and and then once I'd 
once people started to get in touch and say, you know, there's nothing out there, I, I need it for this occasion, or I want it for this occasion, then suddenly you're like, actually, yeah, there's a whole, there's a whole market out there of people who really have good jobs, but they're disabled and they can't find the clothing that matches the position that they've got. Right. But then you realize that what you wear affects how you feel so much. And it's hugely underestimated how different you feel when you put certain clothes on. So I've always, once I sort of got my, once I felt brave enough to be like, I'm disabled, this is how it is. I'm in a chair and they're going to look anyway. So I'll tell you what, I'll give you something to look at. So <laughs> I'm always known for like stupid nail varnish or really funky shoes or just something that is almost like a talking point because people get very scared when they see a wheelchair and they're like, oh, I don't want to talk to the disabled lady. But if there's something there that like sparks a bit of, oh, look at your shoes or what, it gets them talking, it puts them at ease. And I'd sort of, that's my thing is like funky shoes or shoes that I never would be able to walk in in my life, but I don't need to because I'm in a chair. So that's fine. (laughs) So then people were like, well, I want my clothes to do the same. I want to wear clothes that people are going to look at and go, wow. And they start the conversation rather than the, what's the matter with you? Why you're in a wheelchair side of things. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the conversation we had when we first met was um, because you were talking about the speaking side and how to sort of position that. We got on talking about your shoes. And I, I remember saying it, that that idea of put the shoes first and the wheelchair last. Yeah. Was, and you know, honestly, it has it has made such a difference. Like everybody comments now the fact that it that's what I'm known for. It's the funky shoes. Yeah. The wheelchair is an after yeah. Yeah. an afterthought. And quite often, especially in a situation like this, I don't look disabled. I'm sat on a on a chair. You can't see me in a wheelchair. And a lot of people, if they don't know me that well, I'll go into a room and they're like, you're in a wheelchair? Didn't expect that. Mm. But I think that's great because I've already built up the rapport. They already know me for Kat and who I am and what my values are. And the fact that I'm in a wheelchair, it's irrelevant after that. They, they don't see that. Whereas before that, that seemed to be what everyone stopped at, oh, you're a wheelchair user. Mm. And the conversation just stopped dead and people get scared. Yeah, it's an inter- that's an interesting thought in itself because I think there's something in that, particularly for perhaps the times we're in now, is, is how we can prime conversations in the right direction. Uh, we, when, I know we had that conversation about, you know, shame being used a lot in a lot of training around awareness. And personally, I don't feel that's a particularly productive uh, approach to it. But if you can prime it differently, you can build a rapport with a fellow human being, can't you? Definitely. And a lot of other things fall away. And mm-hmm. and I think that's where the power is of that. So that idea of I'm cutting the grid. I can't remember you the stop line, but we, we talked about it, didn't we? About cutting the shoes. Oh, and the wheelchair was kind of oh, funky and, shoes, yeah. yeah. Oh, and the wheelchair. Oh, and the wheelchair, yeah. And I think that's that taking that whole idea of you know I'm me, you know. Yeah. And I love that. So and and I can kind of I can really imagine how that shifts those interactions as well, you know. Massively, and and it feeds very much into what we do, and as much as we are all about the person first mm. whatever skills you've got fantastic that's great that's what we want to showcase yeah. the fact that you may have a condition or a disability that's irrelevant it doesn't matter to us because we're used to that in our family anyway but actually every we're all human beings we're all people and you know there's nothing different between any of us only what our preconceived ideas are yeah getting down to that that or getting to the root or the core the humanity the 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 essence of us I think is Mm. is powerful isn't it so yeah and you mentioned something as well about 
um, you know, clothing make you, the, the way clothes can make you feel. And I think this is something that's, I, I, th I agree with you. I think it's underappreciated. I've actually just had an interview and it, it will no doubt, I believe, air before this one uh, with um, uh, oh, no. Simon Whittaker. Oh, my memory. Simon Whittaker, who's the, who's the MD of Master Debonair. And he's his mission, he, he has um, clothing for men, you know, really good clothing that he likes, you know, to, to, to sort of, you know, smart clothing for different occasions, that kind of mm -hmm. thing. The key thing that he says is I'm not selling clothing. Really, I'm selling a solution. I'm, I'm, it's people come in and their confidence levels are low and they walk out feeling completely different. And I think that that is the power of something like clothing. And we can, yeah. you know, fashion this, fashion that. There's lots come and go, etc. And we can be a bit dismissive of it. But it's for us, whatever reason, as human beings, it matters, doesn't it? Hugely. Yeah. yeah. It is that confidence. And for some people, it's a role that they play. So they put a uniform on and suddenly they, they feel brave or they're able to fulfill a role or they're acting a part and that gets them through the day. So it, it, it has so many different meanings to different people. And that's something that fascinates me as well, just the way that people interact so differently with clothes and what it means to them and what it allows them to do by wearing clothes in a different way yeah yeah absolutely you kind of remind me of my days as a police officer you know you put the uniform on and you adopt the persona mm -hmm. um, and, and that's necessary sometimes you can get lost in those identities and I guess yeah. that's a challenge when you know in, in any kind of thing that we we do but um, I think that there is something in that and I think that's where so the, the work the, or the, the the work that you do it, it isn't so much about the clothes in that sense no. uh, helping that no, feel yes it... yeah and I think in it's yeah it's not it's not necessarily what I design but it's what my clothes allow that person to do which is is different to just going to the shop to buy clothes because yeah. you need them yeah um I, I think that's that's why I love it so much is you you see the difference and sometimes I'll be making clothes for people on the other side of the world and they'll send me a photo and it's like just the the radiance you see in their face it is just enough to go you know what I absolutely love what I do but then I've seen people burst into tears because for the first time they've got clothes that fit them. And you're like, you know what, you shouldn't be getting to your 30s and 40s and not know what it's like to put clothes on that are comfortable or that fit you. And you think there's just something wrong with the world if if that is still the case, that people don't know what proper clothes feel like. Mm. So it, it covers a whole multitude of emotions yeah. and yeah all sorts so does that tie into the the, the you know you're talking about the speaking side because you know you, you make clothes for different people but I guess you could only make so many clothes unless you decide to scale it yes. up as a business but is, is does the speaking sort of serve as a way to raise that awareness because you talk about the way the world is and, and what have you and I think this is the challenge because when there's a so-called normal <laughs> you know mm our perspectives are shaped by that normal and we don't appreciate, we don't see until somebody points out or makes us aware or we have our own personal experience. So does that fit? How, how does the speaking side of things play into that or does it? Yeah, so um, more and more, we've learned so much on this journey and I, especially with what we've learned with Tom, um, but I guess with myself as well. And it was it just felt wrong to have all these learnings and not be able to benefit somebody um and so we I started talking at work I'd get interviewed and then it started to grow from there because you it's the lived experience that it doesn't matter how many times you read it from someone even if they've done it all their life to actually hear someone with lived experience talk from the heart, it's powerful, really powerful. And actually people learn much more from being able to either interview or speak to somebody 
rather than having someone drool on because that's their job and it's paying their bills. Um, and so it's sort of, it's grown from there. Um, either telling my story of what have happened and so for a lot for execs to say, you know what, this could happen to anyone. You're, you're picking a baby up away from being made disabled for your whole life. Stop and think and start and understand some of the challenges that your staff may have. But also just the fact that being disabled doesn't mean that your employees are no longer worthy of being in a job. The amount of times that I hear where people are really scared to disclose a disability because they don't know what, whether their job's still going to be there or they don't know how they will be treated by colleagues. And you think, you know, considering one in five in the UK have a disability, so few of it disclose at work because they're just frightened. And, um, and that's wrong. So it's all about just dispelling some of the, the ideas that are out there that disability looks a certain way or feels a certain way, because actually it doesn't. And to the naked eye, unless you saw me in my wheelchair, you wouldn't know I was disabled. When I've done keynotes online, nobody, unless I've told them, knew. And then it comes as quite a shock when you go, yeah, exactly. I'm disabled. I'm in a wheelchair all the time. And that's quite powerful because up until that point, their assumption is you are whatever their version of normal is. Yeah. 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 And that and and that's the that for me is the beauty of it, because we're we're all human. We all very egocentric and I don't mean that in, in the ego sense but we, we yeah. look at the world through our own eyes and our own experiences and it's only if we broaden the experiences or have a shared experience with somebody else like yourselves talking or just make us think differently do we see it differently mm. that's the power of it isn't it so yeah. it, it's 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 really important and, and I but for me I think it's it's also this this I mean bringing back I guess really to the the restless midlife or the midlife for journey we're all in different, you know, we all have different experiences and we've all got different things and different challenges and different, different desires and dreams, you know? And mm -hmm. so for me, it's about getting, getting that richness of the tapestry of different people's experiences and sharing that. And I guess really for that, from that question, just to kind of get, or, or the question out of that is the journey that you've had, I've no doubt, I'm, I'm sure the journey's not finished, work in progress, there's still lots to contend with. How do you cope with those, the ups and downs of life, the family life, the work, you know, that kind of thing? How do you cope with it? What, what, what are some of the strategies you use in getting through? Um, we very much take things a day at a time. Mm. When I'm really poorly, we've, life has come down to a breath at a time and it has literally been that raw mm. that you don't know what's going to happen in two breaths time. Um, and so we, we make sure that throughout the day, there's something that we can look back and go, actually, you know what? We're really blessed because X, Y, and Z's happened today. Mm. We, we don't plan too far and add ahead. We're very much spontaneous. So if we're all well and we're all good and we're fancy a day at the seaside, then that's what we do. We just get in the car and, and we go. Um, but it's, we just, we're checking in with each other a lot as well, all the time. Are you all right? Is there anything you need? Um, and we try not to carry as much stress as possible, not always possible. Um, but we try to share as, as much as we've learned. And if we can help anybody, that's all we want to do in life is to make somebody else's journey either through diagnosis and autism or through newly disabled if we can share what we've learned so their journey isn't as harsh as ours has been then we've done our job and we're happy with that um but yeah it's um 
it's hard because I guess some days are so much easier than other days <laughs> and you have times where you're like yeah you know what we're fine we're peachy it's great mm. um and then yeah we have other times where it's hard but mm. we just for as much as we can for what we've been through there are going to be no times that we can predict anyway are going to be as hard as those first nine months and that that traumatic drastic change in life um and so yeah we just we live every day as if it's our last and hope that it's not yeah and I, to be fair, I can't think of a better way to finish the the, the episode because I mean, because I think that there's such a lot in there for perhaps many of us who haven't had to contend with the the, the kind of challenges to sort of think about you know to, the support to boil it down to the next moments being here appreciation of what what you can be thankful for those kinds of things um, I think are really important, aren't they? And yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it's a credit to you and your family, the fact that you've had that support and that that, that, has, that you've achieved and, and doing what you've done, really, you know. So thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much for asking me. It's It's been a joy. No, it's been great. It's, it's, it's lovely to catch up as well. Um, yes. <laughs> thank you for sharing it. And I'm sure the audience will get a lot out of it. So thank you. Is there any parting thoughts before? Because we'll, we'll get some links and show notes if anybody does want to, to get in touch. Um, any parting thoughts from yourself? Um, um no just thank you very much for the opportunity and um yeah just take life a day at a time you never know what tomorrow what tomorrow's going to bring to you so enjoy you're, it you're right so make the most of it so thank you exactly it's been an absolute pleasure and uh, for listening, uh, any thoughts feedback questions then email dave at restlessmidlife.com uh, and you can check out show notes for links etc we can connect with yourself on linkedin can't we yeah, uh, certainly I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I'll provide all my details. Yeah. yeah, drop me a message and connect. Great. You're down as Kat or Catherine Pale? I'm not. Uh, Sunday name. Right. Yes. Yeah, so it's Catherine Pale or Bent. Um, yeah. Great. Well, thank you. Thanks, Kat. It's been a pleasure. And uh, thank you, everybody. Hope you've enjoyed it. And uh, we'll catch you next week. Thank you for listening. You'll find all show notes, links and resources mentioned at midlifereshape.com forward slash podcast. And it would mean so much if you could spread the word to your fellow restless midlifers. Share the show and links. And if you aren't already, subscribe to the show in your podcast feed of choice. And one more thing. If you enjoy the show, it would be great if you could rate it by visiting midlifereshape.com forward slash review. It would mean so much and I may even give you a shout out in return. And a quick final thanks to production assistant Karen North of North BA and for the music which is called Silver Star by the awesome Logan Nicholson of Music for Makers at musicformakers.com. Take care for now and don't forget you really can reshape your midlife health and rekindle that spirit of adventure. <laughs>